Howdy. Welcome to 127 on the Mic. This sermon was recorded by our college pastor, John Davison, as we walk through the book of Daniel on Sunday nights here at 127. We believe that God has something unique to teach us and how the book of Daniel points us to how Jesus is the greater Daniel. If you have any questions, feel free to check out our website, which is fbcbryan.org college. Thank you. Grab a seat, grab a Bible, Daniel chapter 9. While you're journeying over there to find that, let me remind you of a couple things and maybe just share some new things with you uh, that, that we think are important as far as announcements. Uh, we, did, we did the girls thing tonight, and uh, those were going to continue in taking advantage of that eating space and, and making sure we're, we're not wasting time with you being here. Uh, but next week, our men's ministry, which is called the E6, is doing a, uh, doing a guys event. Girls, you're not allowed to go to this. Uh, um, don't worry, ladies. They'll grow past the, the point of you not wanting you in the room to like really wanting you in the room. But it's, I told you, college kids are just junior high kids that have hit puberty. And so, um, so our E6 men's ministry, next Sunday at 5, cornhole tournament starts. And if a, if a college team doesn't roll up in there and win that, I'm going to be irritated. And then uh, they're serving brisket and like all of the sides and baked potatoes and stuff. And so, guys, you can go in there and eat. And, and hear a message that's specifically towards men and be around some guys at our church and maybe make some new friends or make some enemies when you beat them at cornhole. And then, uh, you, and then you can come to dinner with college students at seven and eat again, which should be a blessing to you. We, we are having, we're having brisket that, that we're owning. We're having pulled pork and sausage and baked potatoes and all that. So ladies, you'll get to come and eat the barbecue side of it. You just can't go and play cornhole and hang out with the old guys. So that's next Sunday at 5. Guys, just flood that space. They will love that. Uh, and then a reminder, I know some of you really care about this. Some of you don't know, but you should care about this. The new Proclamation Coalition bracelets came in. It starts tomorrow. Uh, I'm wearing one of them, that's, which is the first week, but they're in the back back there. So if you want one, the entire pack is $5. It includes the four bracelets for November. Um, I think this, this month is about envy and really God's character. And some of you just went, ooh, I got to get some of that. And so uh, grab those back there. Some of our uh, staff will be back there. Again, $5, you can just pay cash or send Venmo. But I encourage you just to grab those. And if you're like, hey, John, I can't afford $5, but I really want those bracelets, then please just take them, okay? Um, it, we want you to have these. It's an easy, hear me, it's been the easiest way for me to help uh, hide God's word in my heart, and it's a commandment that God has given us, and so grab those, okay? We should sell out of those every time we order them, and so tonight, make sure that those go away. All right, that's, that's a big deal. And then you're going to hear about this in um, the message tonight, but we just launched, over the last couple of weeks, we've been working on with our website and stuff, a, a digital prayer wall. And so if you go to the college website or the 127 website, which is just fecbryan.com, org slash college, which is like the one that lives on the website, and then the connect website is slash 127. Either one of those at the top, right at the beginning, it's like, hey, pray with us, or you need prayer. There's two tabs. You can go to it. One of them, the pray with us, takes you to a, a digital prayer wall where people have been submitting prayers, and you can go on there and just pray for people in our ministry. Some of them are anonymous. Some of them, you'll see their name and go, hey, I, I just want to pray for you. And when you click on that, it will send the person that submitted that prayer a message that says, hey, you were just prayed for. 
And so we want that to continue, just a downfall. And, and if you have, need a prayer request, submit those things to there. Our, 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 there's like 20 moderators that are on it right now that are approving those requests. Anybody can get on there and pray. And so it's an easy, like shortcut, digital way to see requests in our ministry and be praying beside us and to encourage others with your prayers. So, and you can, you can submit like praises, like, hey, God has been doing this and put those on there and we can just praise God beside you too. So go check that out. You're gonna hear about that um, tonight. And then prayer team, I sent you another message, but hey, those of you that are leading on-campus stuff, meeting right after this, here's your, your final reminder, okay? Uh, one last thing, which is pretty big to me, I've had some conversations with some of you, and, and as our ministry has been growing, and uh, especially some of you, the freshmen and sophomores, like, hey, I, I, I want to be discipled, but I can't find that person. And then some of you upperclassmen are like, I, I think I want to disciple somebody, and maybe some of you sophomores and freshmen are like, I'm ready to disciple somebody, but I don't know what that looks like. On the 19th of November, which is when we do Wingsgiving, you'll hear more about that if you haven't experienced Wingsgiving yet, but on the 19th in that afternoon, we're doing the first of two discipleship trainings that you need to be a part of. So if you are interested in discipling somebody and learning what that means to, to just live out the great commandment, to, to be a discipler, then come to that training and there'll be another one on December 5th that will help us go, hey, these people have gone through training with us. We have a list of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 college students that are uh, ready to disciple other people. And then when somebody says, hey, I want to be discipled by someone, instead of us going through the gymnastics that we have of trying to find somebody, we'll already have that built out. So it's, we're going to work from the top down instead of from the bottom up this way. So if you're interested in that, make that mental note. You'll hear about it over the next two weeks, but I wanted you to hear about it early on the 19th is when that training is going to be. It's a couple hours in the afternoon, but it is an important like use of your time there. Okay, so Daniel chapter 9, we need to pray because this is all about prayer. So you're probably already there, but pray with me as we jump into this. God, we, we sang it. I think we need to remind ourselves again and just say to you, we, we do, we need you. And we need you to help us understand this. We, we're going to see, even in Daniel's life, like the fuel for prayer is, is wrapped up in you and your character and in your word. And so we need you to, to bring that alive. We need to more clearly see you, to more clearly understand you. We need to understand the effect that our, our prayers can have um, and then run in that, but we, we need your help in that. And so I'm asking that you go before us as we open up your word, that um, it would land on hearts that have been stirred by your spirit to, to know you more, and, and then we would have a boldness to respond in a way that you would want us to respond. So we give you tonight, we turn our attention um, to you as I think we already have through worship, but as we lean into your word, would you more clearly like speak the things that you want to speak to us through it? And we just trust you to do that because you're faithful. I thank you that your promises echo really loudly and that they are secure in Jesus. We thank you most importantly for the cross and we, we lean into that now as we open up your word together in his name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter nine, let's just read it really quick as we run through here. I need you to see this. Um, if you've been walking with us, you kind of know he, he went through these visions, and then he, he takes a, a turn here. So starting in verse 1. In the year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, yeah, uh, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70 so I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Here's his prayer. Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, we have sinned, done wrong, 
acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us. The men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, and all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown towards you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Verse 11, all Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promise cursed written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under the heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept disaster in mind and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous act but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Let's keep going. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people of Israel and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you an understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it. You are, a tr you are treasured by God, so consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. After those 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming ruler will destroy their city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, 
And until the end there will be war, desolations are decreed. He will make firm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation, it's an incredible word right there, will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Oh my goodness. Now, when we started the journey through Daniel, and, and for me, this was about a year ago looking at this, I could, I could go like, hey, man, I'm really excited about Daniel 6. Man, I love Daniel chapter 2. I have all these natural just inclinations going into this. And I really, I, I've taught on prayer a lot. I've, I've tried to build like foundations of prayer in, in ministries, even ours, and just thinking about this. And I've never turned to Daniel chapter 9 for this until now. And then I look at this and I go, this is one of the most incredible just examples that we see of prayer in scripture that we should grab a hold of. And in fact, like if you're just like, hey, I want to digest and memorize God's word even more, man, I would just start like right there in verse four and just memorize this prayer and just run with it because it's incredible. Get down through verse 19 and just hide that in your heart because this is one of the cool things that God has done. Like he, he gave us his word. He gives us Jesus. He gives us the, the spirit to lead us. He gives us his literal breathed out words gathered together on pages that you can carry around with you. Now it's in a digital form, so you got it in your pocket and you have access to it all the time. Then you can, you can memorize it. And, and God's word promises that when you memorize it, it, it helps you combat sin. It helps you lead better. It helps you be a stronger witness. Like all of those things are true. But in this, like I don't think that there's any greater thing that we see in his word than the call to prayer as believers. There's nothing stronger, like the fact that you now, through what Jesus has done, have access into the temple. You don't have to, you don't have to dress yourself up, you don't have to be made pure, you don't have to do any of those things as far as the sacrifice. You used to be like, hey God, yeah? Like it'd be cool if he answered that way. For a lot of it, some of you would scare you, all right? But, but wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be incredible? But here's the, the promise that's wrapped up in that. He's always listening. Like you don't even have to speak it out loud, he just knows your heart. He knows what's going on inside of there. And so, and so for, I started looking at quotes about prayer and what people have written about prayer and reading a bunch of books about prayer. And I started finding all of these statements about prayer. I want to read to you real quick. And we're going we're gonna to pull four things out of his prayer that I think we need to hold on to. And then we're going to pray. But, but, but look at this. Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. Pretty good statement from, from Corey Tim Boom. Like it's just an encouragement to, to like, Set aside specific time to pray, not just when you feel like praying. Where the mind isn't brimming with the Bible, the heart is not generally brimming with prayer. We're going to make this point in a second. When, where the mind isn't brimming with the Bible, the heart is not generally brimming with prayer. That's John Piper. He's still alive. He's old, but he's still alive. All vital prayer makes a drain on a man's vitality. True intercession is a sacrifice, a bleeding sacrifice. This is from J.H. Uh, Jowett. He wrote that in 1905. The great people of the earth today are people who pray, not those who talk about prayer. It's hard for me. S.D. Gordon, 1904, 120 years ago. To get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. That's Billy Graham, a long time ago. Prayer is not so much an act as it is an attitude. An attitude of dependency, dependency upon God. That's author Pink from The Sovereignty of God. He wrote it in 1918. God shapes the world by prayer. 
The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. That is from E.M. Bounds in The Purpose of Prayer. He wrote that in the 1800s. God's people should be and are marked by the humble confession and the great confidence in the the righteousness of God, in the character of God. And when you understand those two things, it's going to springboard you, it's going to push you rapidly into the practice of prayer. You can't help but do that when you understand who God is. John Owen, 17th century Puritan, wrote this. What an individual is in secret, on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Okay, let me read that again. What an individual is in secret, on his knees or on her knees before God, that he or she is and no more. Like, like this, is, this is the metric. This is the measure. And if, and if Owen is right in writing that a couple hundred years ago, and I believe he is, then it, it's right for us to look at Daniel and what he does here in response to this. Because when, when you read through this, and then the angel, angel Gabriel shows up, and, and he says this about him. Hey, at the, this is verse 23. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out. And I've come to give it, for you are treasured by God. Like, I love this idea. The angel comes and goes, hey, Daniel, as soon as you just said, hey, as soon as, as, soon as you started your prayer, which is, which is this, ah, Lord. As soon as you started that prayer, an answer already went out. Why? Because you are God's treasure. You are, you are treasured by God. The, the ESV translated it this way, you are greatly loved. Those of you that have the NIV in your hand, you look at it and it goes, you are highly esteemed by God. Like, what a, what a sweet promise or a sweet statement to Daniel from this angel about what God thinks about him. Why? Because I think what Daniel is doing in the secret places, which echo all throughout the book, is what makes him who he is. And the same can easily be said about us. And this prayer, going all the way through verse 19, I, I said this, it's just one of the most remarkable prayers that I've seen because it does a couple of things really, really well. It, it helps us contend for like corporate sin. It helps us understand the corporate confession of sin. We're going to see that in a second. And then it, it helps us recognize the greatness, the, the awesomeness, the righteousness, the holiness of God and how he deals with the transgressions of his people. For those of you that have been with us in, in Bible study uh, during the week, you're seeing this echo over and over and over again when we look at the minor prophets and how God is going, this, just, just do this. Okay, you're not going to do this. I'm going to bring destruction, but I'm going to also redeem. Like, he has all of these characteristics that we need to understand. He is great, and he is awesome, and he is righteous, and he is just, and he is holy, and he's got to hold us to a standard. But he's also grace-filled, and he keeps his promises. And so, so we need to look at Daniel's understanding, or how Daniel even prays, and maybe apply that to our own life, and understand that um, our calling, this is, this is pretty big for me to understand, our calling as Christians, as Christ followers, is not for ourselves. I've, I've made this simple kind of argument to you before. If you haven't heard it, then, then hear it again. The, the goal for God creating you on this planet was not your salvation. That was part of it. I, I, he desires that all would be saved. That's part of it. But if that was the only goal when you gave your life to Jesus, what would happen? You would disappear. That would be a cool game that we played. I've talked about it before. Somebody has to stay here to keep sharing Jesus with people. I hope it wouldn't be me. But if it was, it was like, oh, you accepted Christ. But, 
Or I make this kind of evil joke that, that once you've made that public confession of your sin and you follow Jesus in baptism, I would hold you under. <laughs> and the audience would be like, it's weird. I'm never getting baptized. Um, but it would be better for you to go to heaven. It, it's, it's a cruel gift if it's just like salvation and you got to stay on that stinky planet. No, you get to stay here because your salvation is, yes, it's part of God's story, but your salvation is for other people. When you accept Jesus, then you instantly just jump into the mission. Then it's all of a sudden like Matthew 28, 19 just comes alive. It's like, go and just do all the stuff. He doesn't just call you straight up to heaven, but you, your salvation is wrapped up in this, in this purpose. A true believer, a true Christ follower has a deep understanding of the abundance of grace that's found in a relationship with Jesus. We understand that we have a calling uh, to serve him with our life, and we are called to be unselfish with how we share, with how we um, evangelize, with how we live life on mission, but all of that is fueled by your prayer, and all of that prayer is fueled by something, and we see this in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Your prayer is fueled by this. In the first year of Darius, the son of that guy, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord, to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of the years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. What's he saying? I read Jeremiah, and I understand that we're going to be stuck here for 70 years. And he, like, I think they had the Torah, they were holding on to stuff, but for some reason, Jeremiah's prophecy has now been considered to be the word of the Lord, has been considered to be scripture, and he's holding on to it. Daniel's prayer life is fueled by his study of the Bible. Your, your prayer life should be fueled by your understanding of scripture. This is, this is what this looks like. We can play this game really quick. Jeremiah 25. I think I left it marked. Oh, here we go. Jeremiah 25. This is where he says it. I just underlined a bunch of stuff, but I need you to hear all of that. This is the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Okay, so he's connecting these two. We go through this. The word of the Lord has come to me. Verse three. I've spoken to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed. Verse 4, the Lord sent all of his servants and prophets to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed or even paid attention. You go down to verse 9, I'm going to send for all of the families of the north, this is the Lord's declaration, and send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I love this, he calls him his servant at this point. Dude's lost. Salvation hasn't even come yet, and God's like, that's still my servant. My servants are lost and saved. I'm going to use unbelievers and believers to serve me. I'm going to send for my servant and I will bring them against this land, against its residents, and against all those surrounding nations. Verse 11, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And when the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. This is the Lord's declaration. He, he declares that. 29, all right, if you listen to the podcast, you know where I'm going already. If you want to hold on to 29.11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to, for your well-being, um, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You're like, that's a great verse. Read the ones before it. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you 
and confirm my promise concerning to restore you. But you got to live in this desolation for 70 years. This is Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. He's going, hey, this is what you're going to get. You're going to be sent to Babylon now. I need you to be a people like good citizens. I need you to marry and multiply and obey the law and be a blessing to them. Because if you're a blessing to them, I'm a blessing to you. And that nation will prosper. But you got to live in exile for 70 years. And this is what Daniel is holding on to. This is what's thriving. This is what's driving his prayer. His understanding of Scripture and this idea that God's promises are true. And this is where it gets scary because Deuteronomy 28 is kind of the antithesis to Deuteronomy 6, where we read the Shema and it's like, Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God this way. And you need to, you need to bind this on your heart, you need to write it on your forehead, you need to put it on your doorpost, you need to share it as you're going and when you're staying and when you're doing all these things. And Deuteronomy 28 flips this on its head because the opposite of obeying is disobeying. And in the disobedience, he says this. I'm just going to find it right quick. I know I underlined it. You can go to 28 if you want to. Um, I think we're going to start in uh, verse 15. But if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all his commands and statutes that I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come and overtake you. This is what you should do, but if you don't, verse 16, you'll be cursed in the city and you'll be cursed in the country. Your basket and kneading bowl will be cursed. Your offspring will be cursed, and your land's produce, and the young of your herds, and the newborn of your flocks, all cursed. You will be cursed when you come in, and cursed when you go out. This is his, his command over this, and Daniel knows these things. And so connecting Jeremiah, it's like, this is God's promise. Seventy years we're in this. And you know why we're in this? Because God is just, and he keeps his promises. And we're not obeying, and so we deserve exile. But I know that our exile is only going to last 70 years. And so my prayers are found in Scripture. That's, scripture is the foundation of my prayers. It's going to be the fuel for how I pray. And so when you come to me and you go, like, I, I struggle to pray sometimes. Like, I feel like my prayer life is empty. I feel like some of my words are just like hitting the ceiling and just bouncing back at me. I feel like maybe God is silent to me. John, what, what do I do with that? I would say, pretty simply, in maybe a grace-filled way, that, that your struggle to pray is often because you don't know the Scriptures as you should. The, the emptiness you hear that you don't feel like God's voice is speaking to you is because you are not engaging with God's voice. Do, you fail to approach God well in your prayers because you fail to soak in his word well. Now hear me, there are going to be seasons when you, know, when you open up God's word and you go, I don't feel anything. And here's the cool thing, God doesn't care about your feelings. He wrote God's word to be living and active and the promises aren't a comfortable pillow in your bed at night the promises are it cuts deep it's sharp it goes down into the marrow and a lot of us don't like that getting cut getting stabbed it's not really the thing i wake up and be like okay I'm ready for some of that but this is what god's word does and so when you come to me and you go hey like i just feel like my prayers are empty i will go because your quiet times are i feel like god's not listening to me because you're not listening to him He's, he's, he's written a love letter to you. <laughs> like you have God's word accessible at all times. And if you would engage with it, I promise you that it's going to fuel your prayer life 
differently. Immersion in Scripture energizes prayer. Just write that down above chapter 9. Immersion in God's Word is fuel for my prayer. Daniel's understanding of it drives him to his knees, and it drives him to God. Only as we deepen our understanding of God as revealed in the Bible will our praying become richer and more soundly based on who God is. It's the fuel. Okay, so now that we understand that this is the foundation for our prayers, what, is, what does Daniel do with this? All right, verse 3. So I turned my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So his understanding of God pushed him to turn his attention to God, but he approaches God in a humble manner. Why do, you, why do we say that? Because he approached him with fasting, which means he sacrificed his own needs. He, he, he quit eating food so that he could pay more attention to God. And in every moment in Scripture where we see big moments of prayer is always wrapped up in fasting. So this is another cue, like, hey, like I want to get better at this. All right? Practice the art of fasting. Sometimes it's difficult. We can have a conversation about that later, but this is part of the humbleness of this on what you see. It was with fasting. He, he goes with, with sackcloth, and what that means basically is just like this outer garment that you wear that's really, really uncomfortable, that's really, really itchy. And so you're not only going, I, I don't need food, I also don't just need the everyday comforts. I want to put myself in a space where I'm uncomfortable before you want to humble myself that way. And, and ashes is just this, like, this form, this, this idea, uh, it symbolizes really complete ruin, complete destruction, like I'm no more. I've been burned to the ground. And so the posture that Daniel took was visible, like it was just lament. He, he had to approach God humbly. And, and that humbleness then, when he humbles himself to pray, it reminds us of what Jesus did. I mean, Jim, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. But even Jesus had to humble himself in prayer and going, God, I can't. What, would you take this cup from me? What I'm about to step into, I can't accomplish without you. So if Jesus could humble himself, and if Daniel could humble himself, it should probably be our approach to, to, to God in prayer. We approach God on our knees with our faces to the ground. Now, sometimes that's physically you do that, and sometimes that's just a heart posture to him. And then when you are in that space of humble, then you can turn your faces to the Lord with your prayers, with your petitions, with, with begging him to do stuff. Because only in that space can you rightly pour out your heart to God. And so why is thinking humbly important? We, we made this statement earlier, I think you caught it, that, that your salvation is not about you. It's for God's glory and then to be echoed to man. And if that's true, then you can rewind that. Like if your salvation is not completely about you, then your prayers, your petition can't really be completely about you. And your confession to God can't be about you because this is what we see. I love as he continues this. He says, I'm going to humbly approach God and then I'm going to let my prayers be filled with, be characterized with an honest and a full confession of sin. And, and I love what he does here. If we just run through this really quickly. I prayed, verse 4, to the Lord my God, and I confessed. And then what do you begin to see really quickly through here? Oh, Lord God, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. When we teach how to pray, we use this thing called the, the PRAY acronym, which is P-R-A-Y, that's how you spell it. P is the praise. Like, I want to put God in his proper place. That's what he does. He's, he's adoring God. He's, he's, he's praying this prayer of adoration at the beginning. 
You are a gracious, covenant-keeping God. You, you love and you keep your commands. And then verse 5, we have sinned. Done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned away from your commands. Verse 6, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Verse 7, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. It's back to praising, but, but this day public shame belongs to us. The men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far off, the countries where you have banished them because of their disloyalty. Verse 8, Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, our fathers, because we have sinned. Praising and compassion, forgiveness belongs to you, but we have rebelled. Just underline these if you want. We've not obeyed the Lord God following his instructions that you have set before us. Right, this is Daniel. This is hero of the faith. This is prophet. And where is he putting himself? Right in the same category as everybody else. And so how often do you just start your prayers off like this? Maybe this is a, a culture shift for all of us. Right, God, you're, you're good. This is how I started. God, you're good and you do good. Man, I confess the sins of, of me. I confess the sins of my family. I know that my wife has wronged you. I know that my boys have wronged you. Man, I look around the, I look around the neighborhood. My neighbors have wronged you. I can hear the cheers from the stadium where they're worshiping that football team and all those, all those clowns have wronged you. Like the city has fallen short of your glory. And I'm like, part of me doesn't want to pray that way because I don't want to bear your sins. I don't, I don't want to think about how you've wronged God. That, that's difficult for me. But my humble approach and my deep understanding of scripture that is driving my prayers is going to push me into a space of honest and full confession to God. And that's going to include those around you. That means you're going to begin to own the sins and confessing of the sins of those around you. We see this in Nehemiah chapter 1. That's where we normally teach out of prayer. And we go, hey, his confession, which the R is the repentance, he's repenting for the sins of the entire country. And maybe we should begin that practice also. All the way through verse 14, he, he's just saying like, hey, this, this is on me. Just as it is written, verse 13, in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us and we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities. Verse 14, so the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us. For the Lord God is righteous in all he's done, but we have not obeyed him. He's repenting for the sins of all of the country. And then he turns the corner. He's going, hey, you're good. I'm owning the sins of everybody because I should, because my Salvation is not about me. So my petitions and my prayers are not about me. My confession to God is not about me. It's about everybody. I want you to bless them as you have blessed me. I want you to restore them as you are restoring me. I want you to be, bring about salvation in them as you brought about salvation in me. And then he goes into his ask, his petition. Now, Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day. He's reminding God of what they've gone through. He's reminding him of his promises. We have sinned. We've acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from the city. Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around them. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer. And he just continues in this ask part of it. God, would, would you answer in this way? And then we teach this last, when he, when he gets to that point, he, he begs him. He's pleading for him. Verse 19, Lord, hear, Lord, forgive, Lord, listen, and act. And I love this, my God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. 
And then at that point, what do you do? You beg that way, and then you go what? I'm just going to turn this over to you. Have your way. Do, do what you want. I'm just going to yield the results to you. I'm asking, I'm pleading, but, but only you can. And so I'm going to need you to act. And, and it's, it, we're not a helpless bunch. I mean, we are pretty much a helpless bunch, but we don't act like a helpless bunch. When somebody has a need, we often want to act to meet that. The church wants to surround them, we want to do some things. And sometimes it's helpless for us just to yield the results of prayer to God. But this is what he's calling us to. We praise him for who he is. We repent of our sins and the sins of the nations. We ask what we're bringing before him, and then we just yield the results to God. His prayers were characterized by a complete, full confession of sin. Puts it all on the table. And then he moves to this. His petitions to God, his prayers to God, his asks of God were grounded in God's character. And this pushes us back to that first point. Like, do we fully understand God? And is our understanding of God fueling our prayers? Because he, he, he's like, hey, you brought your people out of Egypt. I, I'm asking that you keep with your righteous acts, verse, six, verse 16. Like, like, you're, you're good. We're not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but we're basing them on your abundant compassion. His prayers were, were found, they were grounded in God's character. I love this statement that I found from Sinclair Ferguson. He says this, Daniel sees the righteousness of God both as the basis for God's judgment of the people and also the basis for his own prayer for forgiveness. How can this be? In scripture, righteousness basically means integrity. Sometimes it's defined as conformity to a norm. In the case of God, the norm to which he conforms is his own being and character. He is true to himself. He always acts in character. And so a prayer that is clearly God-centered but is people-oriented is what Daniel's doing here, appeals to the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant, who keeps his promises. And so Daniel's plea begins to build as he asks God to hear the prayer of your servant, make your face shine upon us. Listen closely, my God, and hear, open your eyes and, and see our devastation and know that we bear your name. And so we're appealing to your abundant compassion. And it's just like this, this crescendo that it rises. And he's like, Lord, hear, Lord, forgive, Lord, listen and act. I don't, I don't know how often I pray this way, but restore your name for your sake, not for ours. We're not worthy, but you are. We deserve this exile, and you're going to rescue because you keep your promises, but do so not for my comfort. Do so not for the people's comfort. Do so for your glory. Restore us in that way. And, and I love this. He has to ask God to do this because what happens if they return from exile to Jerusalem and they get to rebuild the walls, but they don't experience this? They begin to just act foolish again, right? If God doesn't, God doesn't break them of their sin and then restore to them a heart to follow him, they're going to go back into just kind of their norm. Instead, Daniel's going, would you please, for your sake, not for ours, restore in a way that draws our attention back to you. And so when we go back home, because you're going to keep your promises and we're almost there, when we get back home, we want to live for you and not get back into this place. And, and this should be your desire 
because your city and your people bear your name. And so what you need to do, what I'm asking you to do through us is for your glory, not just to make us look good. And that should be the, the fuel for our prayers. And, and this is kind of where I was thinking about this. When we connect this to Jesus and we connect this to our response, here's the thought. Daniel has this fuel to pray because he has an understanding of Scripture and it should be our fuel to pray. I mean, he, he has Jeremiah and he's reading it. He's like, hey, in a couple weeks we're going back home. Jeremiah said it's true. God keeps his promises. Here we go. He, he has that. What do you have now? You have God's word, but you have Jesus. Okay? You get, you get like a better, better is a terrible word there. You get the perfect mediator, go-between, a fuel for your prayer that's, that's even greater than your understanding of Scripture. Because this is what we see in Romans 8. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Romans 8, 34. Who is it? Christ Jesus, who died at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. That's your prayer partner. It's Jesus. And, and what is he interceding for? You can connect Romans 8.34 to Hebrews 7.25, where it says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to intercede for them. Uh, hear that. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. That's the promise you get to set in. It, it should be the thing that when you hear that, you go, I should never stop praying because I got a prayer partner who's Jesus and his desire is salvation and he lives to intercede for the lost people as I run to him. And he's faithful to do that. And so as the band comes back up, here, here's the response. Like, you probably were convicted that your prayers aren't based in God's word. You're probably convicted that you're struggling with your prayer life. You're, you're probably convicted that your prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling and coming back down because they're not founded in that. But it goes beyond that. You're probably convicted because you're not owning the sins of yourself and those around you. You're probably convicted because you don't even have like a desire to even pray for them. Like most of your prayers are for your sick grandma. Pray for that are for a test that you didn't study for and you miraculously need God to help you like pass algebra, which I can theologically argue, uh, the Lord doesn't bless laziness, quit that. Um, <laughs> sometimes he's kind. All, all of those things that we're holding on to, you're probably going, yeah, like this is true, but what do I do with it? Like what, what do I do with all of that? Because if I'm honest, like engaging with God's word is sometimes difficult. Um, and I get, I get bored with it. And it doesn't really fuel my prayers. And if I'm honest, John, I really don't even have a desire to pray. And because I'm, I'm not seeing God respond in ways that I want him to respond. Can you imagine being one of God's chosen people who's been exiled to Babylon? For 70 years, you're a slave, and you feel like your God has abandoned you, but you have this promise of sitting out there that uh, in 70 years, we're going to be done. We get to go back home. I don't know what all this was for. 
What if you put yourself in that shoes? What if you put yourself like after Malachi speaks and you have 400 years of silence before the king shows up? Like, like what, it, what does it look like for you, like for your week, your month, maybe your year where you feel like God has been silent to you? How have you been responding? Have you just been like an exile who's just like, eh, I don't really care. I'm going to forget the language and the law of God. I'm going to return back when he keeps his promises one day. Or are you like Daniel who has an understanding of scripture? And even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't feel like it, even when the world is falling apart around you, you run to God and you beg him for his glory to redeem and restore. And then you get to see what he does in that. Like, that's the measure. I'm not saying that you're going to engage in prayer tonight and God's going to do something miraculous. What I'm saying is you're gonna, you can start to engage in prayer tonight and God rewards those things because he's a promise keeper. And sometimes it's right now and sometimes it's 40 years from now. Sometimes you won't even see the effect of your prayers until you get to heaven. And you have to get to the point where you're okay with that. Because, because hear me, like if you want to make this personal, we started an adoption process 10 years ago. And we've been praying every day. My boy's been praying every day for her. There's people that are surrounding us that are praying every day for her. And she's not here yet. And you know what's scary? We, we're not even guaranteed that she's going to get here. Like, how scary is that? God could choose to make this just part of our journey and then go, no, you're not actually going to get her. Last weekend, I got to hear her laugh. I, I sat on a bicycle in her room that's going to be hers one day, we believe, because God keeps his promises and we think that's true. And I pretended to ride it, and she's just losing her mind laughing via FaceTime. And what if she doesn't show up? What does that say about me and the character of God, and how do I respond to that? Well, I got to grab a hold of his, his word and be like, he's a promise keeping God. And he does whatever he pleases and his ways are not my ways. And maybe this is just part of the story to teach me something else. And I don't fully get it now, but one day I will. The commandment isn't to pray when you feel like it. It's to hold God to his promises and run to him and see what he does with him. Just to be faithful in it. When it feels right and when it doesn't, confessing the sins of yourself and the country, going to him because you understand his character better and trusting him with the results. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to respond and worship. The band's going to start to play and they're not going to sing. They're, they're just going to play for a little while. And, and this room, I, I like that the whole room can be an altar. Uh, you can come up here and pray and it could just be like a simple, like, God, I don't know how to do this. Would you teach me to do this? What the disciples like, hey, teach me to pray. They were hanging out with Jesus. Hey, teach me to do that. Ask him for that. Uh, we have a bunch of people that are on our, on our prayer team, and this is what they're going to do. They're going to move kind of into the back sections. They're going to go into those little cutouts back there that lead to, to doors, and they're just going to kind of be up in the front. You can go back there and just look like a lost puppy and be like, hey, I need, I need help praying. And one of them are going to grab you and be like, hey, what's going on? Maybe your Bible study leader, you know them, you have a connection with them. You're like, hey, I just, I need prayer. And you can go into that space and just, and just do that. Maybe you just need to grab your Bible and open it up and be like, I need to know a promise of God, and I need to pray it. And just see what that is. Maybe you need to confess your sins, the sins of your family, the sins of your roommates, the sins of your neighborhood, the sins of our community, and see what God does with that. But God is calling you. I, I said this earlier. I said this when we were praying with our leadership team. Like God's promises are wrapped up in his character. And so there's no condition to them. They're going to come true. And so here's this thing. If my people who are called by name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I would hear from heaven and I would heal their land. What if you just did that? Run to him in confession, yourself and others. Humble yourself to that point and see if he heals. Why not be a part of that? So I'm gonna pray. 
during my prayer, if you want to move, you can move. Lights are going to come down. Band's going to play for a little bit. Then they're going to start to sing after a little while. Maybe you don't need that prayer, but I think you do. Come up here, head to the back, stay in your seat. We need to spend, it's 921, it's okay. We spend 10, 15, 20 minutes. Maybe that's going to be an eternity for some of you just seeking the Lord and asking him those things and running to him. Because if we would become a people of prayer, then I think this church, this ministry, your school, your house, your family, your friends, the nation and the world, and eventually eternity is going to look different if we would be about that. So let me pray and then you move. God, you're good. And I just sit in this spot. We said it from the beginning, we need you. And we need you um, not because we want to do something great. We need you because we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, we need you to come and to restore our land. We need you to come and confess or to break us of our sin that leads us to confession. We need, we need you to come by your spirit to stir us to know you more. We need you because there's a lot of broken people in here with broken things that they can't fix. And they've been trying in so many spaces to fix them and they, they realize they can't. So we need you by your spirit to stir us and to run to you with that stuff. Now we, we need you to bring, such a cliche word, but we need you to bring revival. Christianity is easy here. Would you break us of, of some of that stuff? Would you, make, would you make our lives difficult in spaces because of unconfessed sin that would push us towards you? Like, we're thankful that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, but sometimes we just make that too easy. So we, we need you, by your spirit, to, to help us be real. Not an app. It's just cute little two pictures. But to run to you in honest confession of who we are, founded in who you are, for your glory to see you do incredible things. Will we not waste this season? God, would you stir our affections to pray and to move? We trust you to do that by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, they're, they're at the back. Don't, don't have any, any fear of running back to them. You can run up here, grab a Bible study leader. We're just gonna spend a few minutes just, just having our affections stirred for Jesus in whatever way that looks like. And then as the band starts singing and you think you can return in song, then do that. It's not a forced thing. Don't feel like you have to sing. We just want to give you a space to respond. And then we'll wrap up.